People are my passion, and this podcast is about just that. Life, love, careers, relationships, the ups, the downs, the funny, and sometimes not so funny things that happen along the way. I think that everyone has a story to tell, and I want to hear it. So join me weekly as I sit down with everyday people from all walks of life to find out what makes them tick. You are listening to Bright Minds with Ashmon. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bright Minds with Ashmon. I am Ashley Bright, your host. Thank you for continuing to listen and support me. I am so excited to talk to my guest today, and I'm also very honored that she agreed to do this. I have got Megan Kopka in my kitchen with me today. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I was just telling her um, before we start recording that in my prep for today, I was watching a few news art or news stories with you and a couple speaking engagements you've done. And you are a great public speaker, but it also made me a little nervous for today. My nerves started to go away. And now I think they're back a little bit because I'm like, she's so good at this. <laughs> Well, as I shared with you, when I get started, I'm always a little bit nervous and that just happened for me. Oh, so. what makes me feel better? You're in good company then. But it, it's funny how quickly it goes away. We start to just chit chat and I kind of forget I'm doing this for a second, you know, for better or for worse. Okay. So um, I was doing some research for our interview today and I really was blown away um, at what, you, what you've done and what you are doing. Um, we're going to get into her journey and all her credentials, but she is really such an advocate for women and advocate for widows and truly inspiring. Like you made me want to be a better person and start to give back more. You know, I have young kids and I think that's one part of me that I started to lose along this journey was that, you know, service and giving back. And I was like, you know what? It's not too late. And they're seven and nine now and things are getting more manageable. And I think it's time to get back on that. So thank you for that. Gosh, wow. Thank you. I feel honored. What a compliment. And I will tell you, I've been where you are. I had young kids too. And there was a point when they are elementary school, elementary school bound. It's amazing. Like how much more time you have back. Right. I like, I just think I started to realize that when I was reflecting, I'm like, okay, I actually, I don't have excuses anymore. We're getting, we're getting in a groove. They're self-sufficient. So yeah, I'm going to get back started on that. So I appreciate it. Okay. Um, we have lots to talk about. But I wanted to start with how you got started in financial planning. I was reading how you had been a math teacher and you had this moment where you got some bad, I believe it was retirement advice. And you just thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this um, for myself and I'm going to do something about it. I had a really quick story. I had Nick Bonacore on my podcast last week who started um, a youth sports advocacy program. And it, to me, sounded in a similar way, completely different subjects, but a similar feeling. He said to me, he's like, you know what, Ash? I got pissed off. And so I decided to put my money where my mouth is. Wait, I think that's an expression. Yeah, that's expression. But And he said, I'm going to do something about it. You know, I'm going to take it through, take it in my own hands. So can you walk me through that phase of life? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, actually, it stems back to when the kids were young somebody had to have a normal schedule. So going into teaching made sense to me. I've always loved children. And I went to school and I realized too, like, you know, you want to be good at everything that you do. So I definitely put my heart and education and experience into teaching other people, but it wasn't like my career passion. Sure. 
And then when I was there, I started realizing too, some of the things that I learned getting my degree in economics. So I sign up for my 403B and I remembered a professor saying, you know, if you want to be a millionaire, if you save $200 a month in your 20s, you'll be a millionaire by the time you retire. <laughs> I never sat down and did the math and I was a math teacher. Like, my goodness. <laughs> so here I am 29 years old and I was like, well, if it was $200 in your 20s, maybe $300 in your 30s. Duh. <laughs> That's not how math works. <laughs> not. So I always tell people when I'm working with them, when they're targeting retirement, it can look like a car payment in your 20s. It needs to look like a mortgage payment if you're getting started later. Okay. Fair, so. Good advice. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of time value of money calculators out there, but this is, this is so funny. Like the bad advice that I got, and I tell I say this to widows, you have well-intended people in your inner circle. And I love you, dad. But the worst advice I ever got was from my dad. So when I went to contribute oh, no. to 403B, <laughs> yeah, right? He was like, oh, well, you guys can't afford that. And I'm like, wow, we've been making it on one salary. I was really blessed when, when we were younger, I stayed home with the kids. And so this was all new money and extra money. Sure. And honestly, I wish the advisor who had sat down with me had encouraged me to do more. That's so interesting. Okay. So you're teaching. So at what point did you decide that you were going to, you were done teaching and you were going to move on to be a financial advisor? I was kind of pushed out of the teaching field. Okay. Uh, North Carolina had emergency certification that I could have taken. Um, Massachusetts had opened their doors to math and science professionals. And I had every strand of math that I needed to teach in Massachusetts. All you needed to gotcha. do was get a master's degree within five years, and then you could um, be qualified to teach middle school and high school. But you could work during those five years. When I moved down here, they said there was reciprocity, but that was a specialized program, uh, so there's uh, not. So I needed to go back to school and take nine undergraduate courses. No. And I was like, no way. <laughs> yes, right. I, it sounds terrible, but yeah, yeah, at that phase of life, you're like, I'm not doing all that. To right. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So I left teaching and I looked at uh, my 403B advisor and I said, how do I do what you do? Oh, I love that. And he got me an interview with uh, the manager. I quickly learned there was not going to be the position that I was looking for. And I transitioned to Merrill Lynch. And my dad, yeah, again, the good advice, the support <laughs> system in my he, world. I'm sure he meant well. Yeah. No, he... Um, when I left my interview with Merrill Lynch and I was like, oh, that went really well. He's like oh, I'm so glad you're finally going to do what you've always wanted to do. And I'm like, what? Wait I a second. To do this? <laughs> I'm glad you knew that. I did not. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, That's cute. Yeah. Okay. So we have a mutual friend who introduced us. Um, and I did to speak with Cindy a little bit about, I'm kind of fast forwarding here, but about your late husband, Keith. Um, and then I was saying that I did watch some videos with you guys and I actually saw one of the news stories you had done. And I found myself like fully giggling and also I left crying, to be honest, from the first videos I watched. Um, you guys were kind of doing some making your house a little bit more handicap accessible. And there was a conversation about him maybe needing someone to come sit when you went to work. And he was so funny. And he was like, can you just at least make sure she's hot or something yes. like that? And I was fully <laughs> giggling. I loved it. You could hear you laughing in the background. Oh, goodness. Okay. I, um, I'd love to know about your relationship and kind of when you found out about his, about his diagnosis. I know it's all broad, but can you take me through a little bit of that? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. I, these types of opportunities, it's so nice to talk about Keith. 
And I still talk about him presently because I still love him and I always will. Yeah. So I guess, um, Keith was wonderful. He was a perfect partner for me and we were friends first and foremost, you know, it was, um, the regular marriage where I said, you know, we had a good marriage at first and then sometimes it was okay. And then we had those ebbs and flows where you kind of question, like, are we really in this? And oh, I love that you're saying that. I think that's very relatable, you know, through the different phases. Yeah. And you just hope to God you're never on that out step at the same time. Sure. Right. <laughs> so, so we definitely, we were committed to one another. We were committed to the friendship and our family and always looking at that future path. And that's key. Yeah. Like women, we bond, right? I saw the rest of my life with him to the, to the point where when we got married and when we had kids, we had five generations in my side of the family. So when we got married, I was 20 and he was 27. And I thought, wow, you know, we might make it to like our 70th. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we had longevity in our family. So speed up, um, you know, two and a half kids, whatever. <laughs> two and a half. <laughs> 2.4 kids and the dog and um, both working full time. And Keith was... Um, we were playing in a parents versus children's soccer game and he was backpedaling and he fell over and I'm like, Hey, and I grabbed him to help him up. And I was like, wow, Keith, I've never seen you look so unathletic in your life. Oh, right. We always just like, yeah, like yeah, I got to tease him for right? sure. <laughs> I like, I couldn't believe that happened because he was fast. He was strong, all those things. And, um, he was like, it's my foot. So he went to the doctor uh, for his annual physical in December, and he got um, a referral to go see an orthopedic surgeon for his foot, and we thought it was drop foot. Don't interrupt you, but can I ask how old or how, yeah, how old was he at this point? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, he was 40. Okay. Actually, I think he had just turned 41. Okay. And um, yeah, so he was supposed to go see the orthopedic surgeon and me and all my financial wisdom. I was like, I will be damned if you're going to go see a specialist <laughs> on December 18th, right? Waiting for the deductible to <laughs> sure. show <that>. Seems fair. <laughs> and honestly, we were very fortunate that that happened. Um, my mom is a physical therapist assistant professionally, and she came down, my parents came down for Christmas that year, and she did an evaluation on him. I was like, Keith, I don't think this is your foot. I think this might be your back. So speed up. Once Christmas was over, we trained, charioted in the orthopedic, orthopedic surgeon referral for a neurologist referral. And so I don't know what you know about ALS, but sometimes it takes years to get to diagnosis. Wow. Um, we were very fortunate that we were put in touch with Dr. Huffman here locally, um, who's a neurospine surgeon. And Keith started on all of the testing and he had told us that we're going to take a shotgun approach. This could be anything, but your discs look fine. All Where is your headspace through this? I mean, are you still, had he had any other symptoms? Had he fallen? Had he, are you still pretty positive? And, positive. Okay. Things are going to be fine. Sure. Um, when we went back in February though, we got the referral to go up to Duke and see a neurologist. And that's when things really got scary for me. Yeah. Um, we went up and saw a doctor. I don't, I don't know why, but I will never forget the dates. So we went on March 5th of 2010 and saw our first neurologist at Duke and she referred us to Dr. Bedlack. She, and she said, I don't want you leaving here thinking you have an ALS diagnosis. There are other things that this could be. 
And the terror starts at that point. Hearing Mm -hmm. those three letters together. Yes. Yes. Still hopeful, but yeah, you know, ALS is something you don't want to Google. You don't want, um, I know there's a lot of table topics questions like, would you rather lose your mind or lose your body? And the reality is we don't get to choose. Right. Right. Um, and that would be a really difficult choice, I think, for most people. And ALS is, you know, probably the number one where you slowly become a quadriplegic over time. And, you know, Alzheimer's, yeah. where you lose your memories, thoughts, and recognition. So two really tough diagnoses. I wouldn't want to make that choice. And like I said, luckily, it's not real and it's tough to contemplate. So I, I think a lot of people in the caregiving and especially in the widow space, yeah, when they try and empathize or show compassion or sympathy, they will say, I can't imagine. And honestly, I think those are the right words because I tried to imagine what life would be like. And it's true. You can't imagine until you walk through it. Absolutely. I think that's really important. You're saying that I, oh, excuse me. I feel like that way. Yeah, for sure. With any kind of grief and you know, and nobody ever knows the right thing to say, but somebody saying, I know how you feel. I'm so sorry. Well, you don't. And I know people mean well, so right. never try to hold them to it. But I think that's the perfect thing to say is I, I can't imagine because you really can't until you're living it. So you meet with Dr. Bedlack and where did things go from there? So when, the first time we met with Dr. Bedlack, it was uh, April 20th, 2010. So six weeks later. And there was still a possibility that it could have been a copper deficiency or um, HIV, I guess, apparently shows up with some physical issues like that, uh, which was scary for me too. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And then um, a possibility of ALS. And he told us that he was 80% certain that it was ALS. And asked if we had any questions. And I, you know, you just sit there like, I don't know yet. (laughs) Like can't even process. Yeah. And I felt like in that moment, Keith's response immediately was, oh my God, I'm going to have to be in a wheelchair. And I'm like, that's not all. And I, that's where his mind like first went. Yeah. yeah. And when Dr. Bedlock asked if we had any questions, I just kind of froze and I could feel the bowling ball growing in my throat. (sighs) I was in so much physical pain at that moment. And finally I stood up, he was leaving and I'm like, wait. And I asked him not, you know, and I was, Oh, I might cry again. Um, do you have any literature for children? (sighs) Because all of a sudden, you know, you go from wife to mother. Oh my gosh. What is my responsibility here and who am I going to have to tell? And that was just, that was really tough. Is there a, do they, I mean, instantly kind of get you with some sort of support group through this, like people to talk to? Because I, I would have no idea how to process that. Right. Great yeah. question. Because Dr. Bedlack's response was, I'm going to send in the representative from the ALS Association. Oh, so she's amazing. In. Okay. Yeah. When you go to the Duke Clinic, they're a multidisciplinary clinic. Uh, so the resources are right there for you. And they were for us that day. And I did go home with a bunch of literature. Oh, goodness gracious. And you're thinking, I'm going to tell the kids, how Mm -hmm. do I, what am I calling his parents, my parents? I mean, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. Yeah. So you're continuing to go to your scene at Duke and how did he, I mean, how did Keith do? Like how were those next couple months for you guys? (sighs) 
That's a great question. Uh, Keith did what he always did. He went to work. Okay. <laughs> he was keeping a normalcy. I like that though, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's strange because Lou Gehrig was known as the iron horse. Okay. And Keith laughed. He goes, Oh, I've often been called the workhorse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. He got a lot of his accolades from work. He was very talented. He was a culinary institute of America grad. No and way. He was an executive chef. And did he work here locally? He worked in St. James Plantation. Oh my goodness. And, um, actually, Keith and I met working at Alamance Country Club when okay. he was right out of school as a sous chef and I was banquet waitress at El from, you know. You, I, I went to Elon. Oh, you went to Elon. Look at that fun fact. <laughs> no way. We're from the same area. They heavily <laughs> recruit us. <laughs> okay. I love it. Yeah. Um, so he went, he went to work and I'll tell you like my experience over the next couple months was just trying to hold it together. And I was waking up with panic attacks in the middle of the night. It's amazing to me, the physiological responses that you have that you're really not aware of. Like what stress is causing your body in a physical way. That's yeah. yeah. How it's weighing on you. Yeah. And then you wake up with a panic attack in the middle of the night when you're oh, at your Megan. most restful and peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. I mean, it is. So yeah. how do you take care of yourself through that? Like what did you find is outlets for you? Are you a therapy person? Are you a support group, a friend group? You know, what do you, what did you do oh, for yourself? Above. Okay. That's exactly it. I'm an extrovert. Same. support <laughs> group was huge for me. And um, I would go to a lot of the local caregiving groups. The ALS Association had an ALS group, but I went to the general ones as well. And I found them super helpful. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I'm such a relater. I loved, uh, and I, you know, you always want it to be on something positive or something that draws you together, like having kids the same age, but whether it is a trauma you're going through, I think that being able to relate to other people is really important for me which at is, least. Right. Which is a really great point because when I would walk into caregiving groups, they're like, oh honey, you're so young. Are you oh, here geez. for your parents? I'm like, my parents are vegan yogis. <laughs> like, no, they're right up there with Keith Richards. They're never going anywhere. Knock on wood. Um, but yeah, no, I, I felt ostracized in some of those support groups at times. Like, where do I find my place? Like right. you weren't quite, yeah, I get that. You walk in and you get the gold star because you've got the worst disease that you're dealing with and you get, oh gosh, at least my kids are grown. I'm like, oh, thanks. Oh, geez. How old? I know you have a son. Mm -hmm. How many kids do you just have? Two. Two, two yeah. boys? No, a daughter and, and a daughter. How old were they when you guys found out that he had ALS? Uh, during diagnosis, Jaden had... Jaden was 10 and Bruce had just turned 14. Wow. Yeah. Man. And he knew what ALS was. Like, I'll never forget those reactions because I'm thinking, what eighth grader knows what ALS is? I can't imagine. And, and it's, you know, I don't know. I've never, I have no idea if my kids have heard of that or not. I guess probably not, you know, not yet. Jeez Louise. Yeah. I think already as a mom, a, a wife, having a career, it's a lot. I mean, it is a lot of constant juggling. And now you're trying to figure out how to like navigate this life of doing all of that for them while mm -hmm. still taking care of your husband. I just, I can't imagine. It was a house of cards. I always was like, oh, if one thing, you know, if the wind blows, <laughs> it's all crumbling. <laughs> one more thing, I'm going to actually snap. Like yeah, this yeah. Is. So what did your relationship look like through that? You know, the the snippets that I've got to watch, I, I did really, I've said this, but I really admired the humor you were still trying to keep and the love and the relationship, you know, trying to keep that in check while dealing with such an incredibly heavy and tragic topic at the same time. Like, how did you guys navigate that? It's a great question. Um, with a lot of help. Yeah. Right. And a lot of grace towards one another. It's not like you go home with a four-year diagnosis with 
a preteen and a teenager at home and think, oh gosh, I'm just going to hold you and we love each other forever. Right. Life is real. <laughs> I got kids sneaking out of the house and drinking and, you know, the whole game. All the other right. things that are going on. All yeah. the normal things they should be doing and that get to experience in life. And, you know, the the, the middle school tragedy with daughters. You know? <laughs> oh, I'm not ready for that. I'm going to freeze time right now. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Can we, can we stay in touch? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, um, friends rallied. You know, yeah. I remember calling my aunt and just being like, how do you do this? I've got kids in three seasons of sports. And and she goes, you call your friends and you ask for carpools. Um, they'll say yes. You know, Just you bluntly. Yeah. Here's what we're doing. Yeah. We're going to ask for help. And yeah. it's not comfortable, but it should be. We shouldn't. We need to normalize this because we all need it, you know? Yeah, it is very humbling. I mean, part of being American is being strong and being sure. independent. And we are not living in a vacuum. You do need your community. I don't care if you're an introvert or extrovert. Yeah. There needs to be outlets. So support groups, friends and family. I found that you know, people surprise you in good and bad ways, right? Like sometimes (laughs) you get things that you're like, I can't believe that they're not more understanding. But at the same time, that's why you need that new support group is because other people do understand when you are in community with other people that are going through the same thing you are. So, you know, it's like Girl Scouts, make new friends and keep the old. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) One is trying to give people a little grace who can't, you know, haven't walked in your shoes and don't really know the right thing to do and to not try to take it so personally, but that's got to be really tough. When I talk to other caregivers, I challenge them to make a list of five things. So when somebody says, let me know if you need something, you can say, are you serious? Because I was advised to keep a list of five Can I read them to you? Would you like to do them? And a lot of people, I mean, they spend a lot of time volunteering in various organizations or missions with their church when really it could be your neighbor. I mean, I really, I love that you just said that. I think that's, I feel like that's going to stick with somebody listening today because it is, I've always, I feel like my mom has tried to put that in me too. Instead of just saying, what can I do? It's like showing up and doing something, whether not asking, even if it's simple as bringing dinner, instead of asking, just doing it. Like, or just telling them, hey, I'm going to scoop your kids for this, or I'm going to do that versus the asking, because it's really hard to accept, you know? Yeah, it is. Actually, um, the soccer team said, oh, we'll take over carpool. And I said, no, I have to have a night. Oh, well, right. So maybe that wasn't the right friends. thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's this, this balance. Um, but one of our uh, neighbors down the road was diagnosed with ALS. No way. And when she was dying, what I would do is I would show up with cut fruit. I love that. You don't have to ask. You don't have to bring a meal. They might have already prepared it, but I just knew so, how strenuous it was to eat healthy. Right. And everybody wants Everyone's to bring bringing you a lasagna. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Another thing I'm going to take away from this. That's a really good point. Another thing. Ooh. Well, I don't know how clean we need to keep this, but the first time I heard my son F-bomb. Hey, that, <laughs> sure. He was 18. That was right after his dad died. And here we are standing in the kitchen. And there's just casserole after casserole after casserole. And he said, I'm going to quote him. You can, by all means, yes. Where the fuck was all this help when we needed it? (laughs) Buddy, right? Right? We were 22 hours a day. That like hurt my heart a little bit. Yeah. So people think about the casserole after the funeral. Wow. And um, there's like a sign-up genius. And we had meals for like six weeks. I had to be like, enough. Yeah. Yeah. But the six weeks prior to him dying, 
that's when you could have really used Ooh, that okay. was hard. this is these this is good stuff to know yeah. i mean i hate you know but i really think that that's going to be something that's going to stick with somebody that's listening today you know i had um one of my girlfriends on whose husband her, her husband passed away a year ago and one of the things that we talked about because her community is still and i love this like it got me so choked up but still showing up for her like she has a guy who is taking out her trash every sunday night still or whatever it may be like because i do think those first couple of weeks you're overwhelmed which is it's lovely sense. right yeah um but it's it's six months down the road it's a year down the road her daughter just had a science project and she had these she's like i don't know what i'm doing there I feel like that was always her husband's you know kind of his strong suit and and one of his best buds showed up and sat down and did the science fair project with her you know it's that to me is the stuff that oh yeah gets me all it gives me chills just the people that continue to to not forget about you or not because it's hard and you know people go back to their lives but to keep remembering you and keep showing up for you yeah you know it's very true and i think um I'm going to be moderating a panel for a financial conference in March and I'm working with two experts and the biggest message that we want to get across is myth busting that grief is a year. Yeah. It's not major life transitions are like a six year long process and it's not to discourage anyone that's in deep mourning or grief. Sure. But when things change your life, a huge catalyst, which losing your spouse is the number one stressor and number one stressful life event anyone can experience, then you're looking more at the six-year timeline, right? Well, not sometimes it probably months. helps people to know kind of what to expect and to not feel at a one-year mark like, wait a second, I don't feel better yet. I don't feel any different and that's okay, mm -hmm. you know, to have somebody to, to walk them through that, you know? And I, this is not the same at all, of course, but I um, I lost my brother when I was 16. And mm -hmm. I always think it's so interesting because while I felt like I was doing so well, some of those major milestone happy moments are also triggering for some sad things. Like when I got married, you know, that was really sad. Like it was sad he wasn't going to be there oh. having kids, you know, I'm going to get all choked up, but it's, yeah. it's, and it's okay. Like this, I'm 37 years old now, I'm 16 at the time, and it's okay to still be sad or have those moments, you know? That's why I feel like grief is ongoing forever. Like that's just part of me now. I feel like I've overused the word bittersweet. And honestly, from 2010 to today, you know, and yeah. I expect ongoing for the rest of my life, all those major milestones are bittersweet. There's Absolutely. a lot of sorrow and joy, and there's a lot of joy and sorrow too. I am so grateful to have been Keith's wife. It is sad to be his widow, yeah. but I am the woman I am because he loved and married me. He made me a mom, you know? I can like feel, I can see your eyes light up just, you know, when you talk about him and seeing this, it's making, that part may, it does, it's bringing me joy to just watch you like talk about him. I love that. I love talking about him. He was hilarious. I could really, I just fully, like I said, I was giggling. I'm like, oh, this seems like a good one. Yeah. Like having a sense of humor is so important to me. And I feel like that when the time, that ebb and flow, when the times are tough, I'm like, man, at the end of the day, you know, my husband still cracks me up. It makes me laugh. And that's really important. I could see that with you guys. Yeah. I love that. Um, this part, okay, this might be a little, and we can kind of skip this if you want to, but can you, I mean, when he did pass away, was there, I know this was ongoing. How long from the time you found out he had ALS till he passed away? Can I ask that? Just a month shy of four years. Four years. Okay. Yeah, they say that average life expectancy for ALS is three to five years. Goodness. And when he died at year four, I'm like, oh, wait a second. What? Like, yeah. Average, better than average. 
Goodness gracious, Megan, I can't imagine. So what? at what point in time through this did you have that like firelight inside of you to want to help the community, like help the widowed community specifically, or even I saw you've done stuff with people just having disabilities and getting, you know, figuring out how to navigate getting a ramp put in or getting some of those. Was it while he was battling ALS or was it after he passed away that you really started to kind of give back to that side of things? Strangely, my whole life. Oh, okay. My father's an architect and he got out of school right as the American Disability Act was put into place. Well, that's amazing that you And he specializes in no universal way. accessibility. Wow. So we volunteered um with the special needs community pretty much my entire childhood. We did wheelchair races, things like that. So I always felt like my eyes were kind of open. Sure. It is nowhere near as open as it is when you are living with someone 24/7. Right. Yeah. So even I was watching how you got him a special hospital, but like that is a whole, so much to navigate that I don't feel like there's a lot of clear direction on how you get that. Like what actually will insurance cover for me? And of course that's always different. And I work with insurance. It's wild. What is, you know, what am I, are there grants? Are there different things? Like how do I make this all come to be? I think it's not always that easy for people. Right. Well, I will say, I, I think, um, being a redhead helps. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's not what I, I know. It's amazing. <laughs> no, it, there's just, there's a fighter inside of me and it's just a ingrained personality sure. type of, I want my way and I don't take no for an answer when it doesn't make sense. And I've rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Keith was always the one that everyone fell in love with. And I'm the prickly one. Oh, I love that yin like, to the yang. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna, <laughs> I, the nice word is to say advocate, but the reality is I'm a fighter. You know, you're so um, well-spoken, but soft-spoken. It's funny to picture that you have that side oh, of you too. But I, at the yeah. same time, I can see it just from, um, I was watching a Toastmasters, how you had gotten um, Wilmington to acknowledge a, a women's widows or a widow's day. And it took several years and you didn't give up. Yeah. And I think that says a lot about somebody. It says a lot about your personality. And I'd be proud of that. I was impressed. I liked it. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I'm very goal-oriented and I know that it's a process. And you know, delayed gratification when you're on a timeline like ALS. Oh, yeah. I don't have like, time. I need this now. It's right. really not okay. Yeah. Um, so getting some of the services in place, like the caregiving that we needed took 13 months. I started in Ooh. August of, I don't even remember 2011 and September of 2012 was when we got the services in place that Medicare would actually fulfill. And they kept telling us no. Did like, get, you don't get to say no, right? This is in your own pamphlet and paperwork. This is Medicare law. So just for anyone listening, if you are Medicare eligible, which ALS makes you Medicare eligible, right? Sure. You have to be 65 and up or disabled. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a center for Medicare advocacy. It's out of Connecticut. They're a nonprofit and they have attorneys. And I consulted with them several times. Um, you know, all the state laws are different, but Medicare is a federal program. Yep. So it was, it was very helpful and supportive. And like you said, like, I don't give up. I just kept the email strand going, put the next thing on my calendar. Like, Hey, if I don't hear back from you at this time, is it all right? If I call you, you know, oh, it, Megan, not everyone has that, like, no, you know, wherewithal to know to do that. So I think that's incredible. And I wish those resources were a little bit more easily available. Do you know if we have anyone local? That helps 
patients would like kind of navigate this? Yes. I wish I had met them sooner. Okay. I sat down with Andrew Zeldin years ago and he told me about being a geriatric care manager. Huh. Um, they have assist care assistance for life or assist care for life is, and it's uh, Nikki Zeldin. Okay. And they're here locally. Wonderful. Across the country, though, you can find geriatric care managers. And I looked at Andrew and I was like, wow, <laughs> if I knew this job title existed eight or 12 months ago, yes. I would have hired you. Oh, but you know what? But now you're spreading the word and somebody else is going to be able to find that. So that's wonderful that you have those resources now. Yeah. So when did you go out on your own and start Kopka Financial and start kind of help navigating this journey for other widows? Because I really, when I was... I was reading testimonials on your website and your I, I just really was inspired by everything you're doing. Thank you. I can go back and then I'll hop forward. Sure. So when I was uh, at Merrill Lynch, Keith's global company had dropped group disability. Oh. And I went to the Merrill Lynch insurance portal and priced out what it would cost for him. And I think it was like $23 a month on his group plan. And it was going to be like $141 a month as a personal plan. And I just was like, ah, we don't need it. That was the dumbest thing I could have done. So all of a sudden, you know, the mutual fund matrix of perfection that I had made was not as important as the planning. So it was a catalyst for change in my career as well. It was less about just focusing on investments and more at looking at the person's whole household. Sure. So holistic financial planning became priority because I had to real life experience on my that, own yeah. sword and my own decision that I made and it hurt my family. Well, and truthfully, a lot of the things you just said are, and I probably embarrassed that this, but I'm like, I don't even know. I mean, I know what disability insurance, but I, I just really don't know. I just hope that I'm making the right choice or that we're in the right hands and maybe it is time to probably, <laughs> yeah, well, you don't have to hope. probably try to figure <laughs> out that I'm doing the right thing, you know, yeah. but you just don't know you're signing up for these things. And you know, the company's just kind of gives me a plan. I don't know. I really truthfully don't even know exactly what kind of coverage I have, which is not great. I'm sure. Well, hopefully this will inspire you. <laughs> right. <to look. laughs> I'm like maybe I should be better at that. Okay. So that's where you decided like, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it my way and have, I like have holistic financial planning. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've heard those words together before. Yeah. So a lot of um, financial advisors just c concentrate on the investments and making projections on how you're going to get to retirement and to make sure that you don't right. outlive your money. Right. Those are primary goals when someone hires a financial advisor. For me, I look at cash flow. I look at the last couple of years of taxes to understand if there's capital gains or conversions or any opportunities to make your life better. I look at titling of accounts. I want to see your actual statement because Lots of people will go see an estate attorney for estate documents. However, step one is titling and beneficiaries. Those huh. precede your will. So however you have your account titled, if it's titled jointly, should you pass away, go right to the person that you're holding the account with. Beneficiaries are the same way. It, it goes outside of probate. It goes outside of your estate uh, and directly to the person that you've named. So you could say in your will, I want everything to go to my kids 50-50. But if you leave your dad as a beneficiary on your 401k, it's going to your dad. Okay. I'm getting a whole lesson here. Oh yeah. God, I always say, it's, I, I love I this. this um, the TBD, like to be determined. It's to be determined from your titling and beneficiaries right. and then your documents. So TBD, titling beneficiaries documents. documents. 
I'm going to remember that now, yeah. like a good acronym. <laughs> it's like PEMDAS when right. teaching math. <laughs> um, do you ever find, I was wondering, when you're doing this and you're working with um, different you know, widows and sharing stories, is it hard to separate sometimes your personal and professional relationship? Are you clicking with some of these women and just kind of having walked in their shoes and getting close with them? There is a new coined phrase. Okay. That is work-life integration. Oh, which okay. I own that. I, I live it. I love this. <laughs> this sounds right up my alley. <laughs> What's funny is like my personal experience, my personal story, my professional expertise and my altruistic goals are all me. So does one bleed into the other? Yeah, it's pumping through my veins. Sure, right? right? <laughs> I can see this. Yeah. Yeah. So um, work-life balance, I think as a working mom, just never made sense, but a work-life integration does. Yeah. So I am more focused on serving widows, uh, caregivers and widows. Right. I do have a lot of divorcees in my book. A lot of widows don't want to be compared to someone who's divorced, but stepping back, you know, forgiving people for what they say, <laughs> compare. Um, it's a different circumstance and situation, but the end of your marriage and rebuilding your life on your own has a lot of similarities. And so professionally serving women has been just the foundation of where I am, who I am, and where I want to go. I built a business that I think anyone who thinks like I do would want. Yeah. And that idea of looking from cash flow, taxes, investments, and goals. Like, what are your values? My number one value, of course, is motherhood. Yes, absolutely. Right? We have to raise good <laughs> citizens. So it's good that, you know, we can really focus and home in when they're younger. And then as things start easing up and you can go into volunteer role. You just yes. take them with you. Yes, right. <laughs> and that's how you help them become good citizens. Show them that's how you do, right? But motherhood's my number one value. And I would say, secondly, I'm very close, is education. And if you look at my budget, I'm constantly going to trainings and certification. You know, yeah. when I look at my expenses and how I allocate my money, I'm living the life that is designed by the values uh, I that. that I have. Absolutely. And then I feel like you're such a good example. You know, you're not just saying things, you're actually following through with what your values are and making sure I, I really like that. I respect that. Thank so you. where do you, what's next for you guys? Like, how are your kids doing? How are you doing? Where do y'all think you're headed? <laughs> I was just going to say, where, what's next is advocacy. Okay. Um, so from the professional standpoint, with my expertise, I am hoping to evoke change um, for some IRS regulation. Um, mainly there's a, a term called qualified widow on also the social security administration as well. Uh, the death benefit for, from social security is $255. That has not changed from the day social security no started. Way. Yeah. So wow. there needs to be another zero on the end of that yeah. for just a very basic cremation. And that's probably still not enough. And maybe two zeros if you think about what a, a burial and a funeral costs. I mean, I can't, I mean, I'm sure like, this is something I've never thought of. I had no idea. My jaw is like <laughs> dropped right now. I'm like, it has not changed in all these years. That's mm -hmm. crazy. No. And people don't know no. until you, yeah. until you know. Yeah. So I am hoping like if we build a caucus um, to start lobbying for some of those changes, I don't yeah. think that it'll be that difficult, but I do think it'll take a long time. 
Absolutely. Um, so as far as me and oh. my kids and everything, I am an empty nester. Okay. I am enjoying. That's got to be a crazy phase oh in itself. Oh, gosh. You know, it's weird because when Keith was first diagnosed, uh, when I would go out on interviews, um, people would ask, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? And I'm like, my gosh, pass the Kleenex. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Lord. My husband will li most likely be dead. My son will be gone to school, likely my daughter, and my dog's already 10. Yeah, can you know, can we like, skip this question? <laughs> You're like, don't ask me these things. And Megan. I'm a planner. Like, yes. I always want to look down the road. Sure. And that became very, very painful. So one thing I will tell you that caregiving, widowhood, it will stop you and make you live in that moment and be very, very present. You really do have to stop and enjoy right where you are or, you know, take action on where you are. I think it's important to be reminded of that though. You know, sometimes we take those things for granted or you, your life just goes so fast and you forget to stop and really enjoy what's, what's happening to you right now. You know, I actually always, and I've joked about this a few times on my podcast, but I don't love the what's next question. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I am goal oriented and I have so much ambition and different things I want to do, but at the same I'm very happy and content. And I try not to get too far down the road because I really, I love this phase of life I'm in right now. I've got a nine and a seven-year-old. I've got a good career. I started this fun podcast. You know, I'm yeah. like, I'm good. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know where it's going to go, but I'm happy right now. <laughs> yeah. So your job is just, how do I, how do how I, do I keep make it better? This? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. So Megan, if people want to find you, how can they reach out? How, how can we find you? So I do have a website. It's kopkafinancial.com. And Kopka is K-O-P-K-A? -K Correct. Yes. All K's. <laughs> And um, yeah, I'm, I'm around on LinkedIn, Facebook, all those things as well. All the good modern things. Yeah. What about getting involved? Is there, um, do you have links or anything on your website if people want to help support you or help? Do you do ALS walks? Oh. Do you do like, if we want to help this mission with social security, what do we do? So that's a really great question too. I, I will tell you when I was a caregiver, I thought that was the hardest thing. What they never tell you in caregiving groups is that the worst is yet to come. When I became a widow, I thought I was prepared. No, there's no preparing. There's no preparation for deep mourning and grief and the longevity of it. I, um, we did used to do ALS walks. We were one of the top fundraising teams. We no, were the largest team. It was so that. much fun. Yeah. It, it became a friend and family reunion and we really enjoyed that. But when life impacted me, more largely as a widow. And I was just shocked and stunned. And there's really nothing you can do to help someone else because you have to turn all that help internally to yourself. That became the hardest thing I've ever had to face. And so now yeah. I'm an advocate. I'm a community advocate for the Cape Fear Modern Widows Club here locally. Love that. On a national level, I sit on their golden committee. I chair their golden committee. And yeah, if anyone wants to get involved and help, um, please feel free to refer me to anyone with a diagnosis of ALS, whether it's the patient or the caregiver. I am happy to share resources. They are still relevant. I found and did a lot of things um, for my husband. You know, I loved him so much. Yeah. I just wanted to do anything to make his life better. But also anyone who's listening can go on to Modern Widows Club. There is a newsletter for widow supporters. Oh my goodness. And it's just fantastic. Like how do you support someone fresh widowed yeah. or three years down the road and they're still in crises or they still have moments of 
really deep mourning. And that ebbs and flows. Jaden just graduated in May. Holy moly. Of this past year. And I thought we were doing okay. You know, like I was just like, I missed Keith. I really wished he was there. Um, but my parents ran into someone and they were like, Megan, this is Esther. She worked with Keith in high school. No way. I lost it. I said, oh. they tell you he died. And it was like I was crawling on the kitchen floor that first moment oh. after he died, calling people to have to tell someone that he had passed away, even though it had been eight years. It still, that sting was like fresh as the day. It, yeah. And that happens. I call them grief bursts. That's, yeah. You have those moments where it feels like it just happened. Now, letting yourself get further out. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think it's happen. important to let yourself have those moments, you know, um, again, differently, but my, my parents still, especially my mom, like uses my brother's birthday as the day that she just wants to be sad and she doesn't want to see like she allows that as her I'm gonna cry I'm gonna have a tough day I'm gonna be sad today and I always think that's okay you know take the day feel sad you've gotta and again I feel like she is doing very well considering but she still has to have her moments and I think that's important and just normalizing that and making other people know that's okay you know it's very understandable yeah I have learned so much today, Megan. I really, I think that you're just, again, I said this at the beginning, but really inspiring and I love everything you're doing. Um, it's been very informative too. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing Keith's story too. I love the opportunity and I appreciate so much how you've personalized this as well. And I'm sad to hear about your brother. And oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself through all these podcasts. Yeah, thank you. Thank really you great. for listening. Um, I really appreciate you guys staying tuned. Again, you can find it's Megan Kopka, K-O-P-K-A on all the fun new modern social medias. And she also has a website. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Spotify and Instagram at Bright Minds with Ashmon. But I appreciate you guys staying tuned. Have a good one. Bye-bye.